This episode is sponsored by our friends at Fujifilm North America. Their X-Series digital cameras and lenses may just give you that creative edge you're looking for in your portraits and events. You'll find everything from 40 megapixel image quality to 40 frames per second bursts, plus unique in-camera film simulation modes and effortless usability. Click the link in the episode description to find the full range. There has never been a better time to invest in your passion, so make sure to click the link. Hey there, it's Nikki Klosser, and I want to let you know about an awesome free giveaway for people on our email list. If you haven't already, click the link in our podcast description or go to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up to get on the list. If you sign up, you'll get a free posing 101 PDF to jumpstart things. It's an epic PDF, so you'll definitely want to get this. Also, just by being in our email community, you'll get deals, sales, and information about any of our upcoming events and activities. So head over to theportraitsystem.com slash sign up and sign up today. This is the Portrait System Podcast, a show that helps portrait photographers and people hoping to become one navigate the world of photography, business, money, and so much more. We totally keep it real. We share stories about the incredible ups and the very difficult downs when running a photography business. I'm your host, Nikki Klosser, and the point of this podcast is for you to learn actionable steps that you can take to grow your own business and also to feel inspired and empowered by the stories you hear. Hey everyone, today's episode is from the 12-week startup that is currently happening over at SueBriceEducation.com. Every Tuesday, I go live with a special guest and we record it for you as a bonus episode for you to listen to. If you want to be part of the question and answer live session that we do, head over to SueBriceEducation.com slash live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. You can join in on the support that we have going on over there to help photographers to take their business to the next level. Also, if you're not part of the 12 12-week startup yet and you want to access all of the weekly life-changing content that Sue has created for you, head over to SueBriceEducation.com and you can sign up there. Okay, let's start the show. Just a quick heads up that you'll be hearing me refer to images and that we're looking at images. So Obviously, you won't be able to see those photos. However, if you want to see all of the images that we refer to, make sure to log in to SueBriceEducation.com where you can watch the whole thing because we actually recorded this live and did it on video through Zoom with our guest speakers. If you're not a member of Subrice Education, head over to SueBriceEducation.com where you can sign up to become a member. Okay, let's get started. Okay, so we are going to get started with... The 12-week startup, week five, this week is lighting. And, you know, I'm sure you know that lighting is something that you truly have to know how to do. And it doesn't need to be complicated or difficult, but you have to know how to light your clients in a way that's really flattering and really beautiful for their portraits. It's just such an important thing. And each week before I start the coaching, I always chat with Sue just just to, you know, see if there's anything she really wants me to hone in on with you guys. And she always gives me lots of good info. And one of the things that she said that really stuck with me is that oftentimes photographers think that they have to like master all of the in-studio lighting like strobes and constant light maybe flash in order to shoot in studio but truly like that's not the case so if you have a window you really don't need much else and and that's not to say that studio lights aren't incredible when you like use them properly of course like they can be absolutely amazing but again it doesn't need to be overcomplicated and you don't have to spend a ton of money in order to you know have really really great lighting within your studio and outdoors. So when when Sue first started, I know she's she's mentioned this, but it's really important to understand that she only used window light for the first 20 years of her career. And when she she was telling me how she first started in in a studio in 1989 and they had a softbox and it was like suspended from the ceiling, but she said it had that real like 80s sort of look to it. It was like, you know, really soft focus and vignetted and she just hated it. She didn't like it. She was more so drawn t- towards like Herb Ritz or um, Mario Testino when he he photographed Lady Diana in those like gorgeous natural light photos. So that's what she started doing. She was like obsessed with that. And so she ended up proving really for 20 years that all you need is window light. She didn't own one light and she also didn't own a studio gown. Everyone, I I think everyone has this idea that Sue always had like all these gowns and this big, beautiful studio and all this gorgeous light. And she really didn't. She just had a, a window light for the first 20 years of her career. 
I know that I was personally just really intimidated by lights. And when I started shooting weddings, I realized I had to learn off-camera flash. Like, that was crucial. And I think wedding photographers kind of have this, you know, this step up on lighting because you get thrown into every single situation that you have to know how to light. I mean, you can be in, like, a dark hotel room. You're in a, a dark reception area. I mean, you just really have to know what to do. But even though I knew off-camera flash, I still, like, I just did not want to learn studio lights. I was super content with with window light. I really loved how beautiful it was and just how it worked. And I just thought it was, I don't know, I just didn't feel the need to add studio lights until a few years down the road, I was like, dang, this Seattle winter is dark. And like my studio was really dark and I needed to add something. So I ended up adding a constant light. And I only use it on dark days. I still... I still really haven't gotten into the whole studio light thing, but that's okay. Like, that's worked for me for eight years, and maybe one day I'll jump into the studio light. But the point is, is that whatever light you choose to use, you just have to find the light that you're most in love with, and then you'll find your style. It could be strobes. It could be constant light. It could be natural light. It could be whatever light you want. It's just a matter of finding you know, your own style. And the thing is too with with window light, it's kind of like it's it's a strobe like modifier. Like if you look at the window as an actual strobe modifier, like as a big soft box, and you move your your model around the light instead of moving your light around the model, I mean really that's all there is to it. You know, the same the same rules really do apply. And it's just a matter of typically finding something white and sheer. It could be curtains. It could be a shower curtain. I mean, it could be a piece of sheer fabric that you diffuse the window light with on the window and then using a reflector. And you'll see all of this. Sue demonstrates all of it in the week five lighting videos with the natural light, the backlight, the contrast backlight, all of it. And then she also goes over in the videos, the one strobe, two strobes. And then after this at noon today, she's going to show you a lighting setup that it's it's what she would choose if she couldn't, you know, couldn't swing it to purchase, like, you know, spend a ton of money on a big, better lighting kit. She's going to show you a live demo of, of what you can use in the meantime if you are just like, I can't, I can't swing the pro photo lights yet or, or whatever the case is. All right. So one, one thing I know people always ask is what do I use? What lights do I use? And you know, honestly, Sue thinks that Profoto is, without a doubt, this is superior strobe, but she also knows that it's $2,200 per unit. And not everyone can afford that. You know, not everyone wants to spend that, that amount of money on a lighting system. But once she got to the point where she could budget into her business and save for it, you know, Profoto's for her, that's what she decided, you know, the, the route she decided to take. But in all honesty, this is, I want to read you this quote. This is what she said. In all honesty, if you held me against the wall and said, what cheap strobe should I buy to learn? I would look at you dead in the eye and tell you to buy the 300D Aperture Light with an $89 modifier. All up, it's going to cost you around $850. And that's what I recommend until you can afford a bigger, better kit. And so at noon today, she is going to do a demo of that with you. All right, so... Do you have any questions so far about that? Any questions about lighting yet? It's, um, you know, it, again, it's one of those things that you really have to learn. And and I just don't want you to be afraid of it. It's like practice, practice, practice until you can figure out what what space in your studio works best. Like sometimes we'll get the question of, you know, here's my studio, wh- which corner should I shoot in? And and it's like, well, it's so, so hard unless I'm there practicing, looking at the light myself. So just try each corner. Or like sometimes people will say, should I be, should my window face north, east, south, west? Honestly, it's just all about, well, first of all, it depends on what side of the world that you're on. And it's all about just trying it and just seeing, you know, what can happen with it. So someone asked, um, how good is Godox? And, you know, obviously... I don't know. I I have a modifier that I put on top of a Stella 2000 that's Godox. I don't even know if I'm saying that word right. Yeah, Godox. So, you know, it just depends. Um, I mean, we could go back and forth about what is the better light, and I think everyone's going to have their opinion. I think it's just a matter of trying them. I mean, you can rent from, like, Lens Pro to Go. They rent out 
lights. I mean, you could try them before you buy them. There's always a way to try first before you buy. So it just really depends. Okay, so I have a special guest today. I have Felix Coons with us. He's a master at lighting. He's just, he just gets it. Like he just gets light and he teaches it very simply. And I'm excited to have him on with me today so that you guys can ask any questions. If you have any questions about natural light, like I'm your girl, I can I can answer any question when it comes to natural light. It's just like, I was like, I need someone who really knows about strobe light and studio light in general. So I have Felix with me today. And Felix, welcome. Welcome to week five. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Hi. Um, hi, everyone watching at home. It's great to talk about lighting, my one of my favorite subjects. I know. I figured you'd be really, when I asked you, I was like, <laughs> oh, I bet you he'll want to, because I know you love to talk about lighting, and it's just something that is, um, yeah, it's super important. Let me also just say, everyone, Nikki's being very, very modest, when she's like, oh, I don't know anything about lighting. The description you gave in the intro is like, Wow, you've just like ex- explained it so well. It really shows me that you understand. Like the, I know it's hard to believe when you're sitting at home and you're doing the startup and you're like learning. But when she says it can be so simple, it's really true. You know, yeah. And it just yeah. requires like practice, 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 practice. Yeah. Well, thank you. And you're right. It is all about practicing for sure. I mean, you can't just go into your first client shoot and hope you can work it out. I mean, practice on your dog. Practice no. on your your kid, practice on your neighbor, like anyone who you can get into, you know, a doll, like anyone you can get into your space, you just have to practice for sure. Yeah. And there's, there's a point I think for anyone, like this point happened with Sue, right? She was doing natural light for 28 years or whatever. And then when we started doing strobe, I think there was a moment, I think you can even see it in our first class to get like happening live where she's like, oh, so you, in natural light, I'm, the window is fixed. You can't move it. Right. So you're moving your subject around the window to get the most pleasing light. And then when you have artificial light, you can leave your subject there and move the light. Yeah. And when that clicked for her, I was like, she was like, oh, that's like, that's the only difference. And that's a kind of a mind frame that she got into that really opened the whole thing up for her, you know? Yeah, for sure. Someone, okay, this is, this could be, this is an interesting question. Okay. So someone wants to know, like, what is bad lighting? What do we want the face to look like? With lighting, right. like how do we know if it's good light? Right, and we want that to be the same for natural light or artificial light, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So whether we have um, a strobe or natural light, like we want that to be the same thing. And what I love about everything, like Sue's lighting classes and everything on the Portrait Masters um, platform is we are not teaching, like we're teaching studio lighting for portrait photographers, which means we want to get that same natural looking light that we get if we're using natural light. So it's not just all this like, studio look you know where it looks like i know photographers if you look on people's uh portfolios sometimes they shoot really beautiful natural light and then when you get the studio images they look like really like yeah that was shot in the studio you know and um that's why i kind of talk about this mindset of like once you go from your natural light is your window and you can't move it so you have to move your subject and then artificial light is your window exactly the same but you can move it so once you kind of get that um, it really opens it up. But of course, you know, everyone's working their way into even learning natural light in the startup. So um, it's kind of can be a little bit intimidating to be like, right, just get in the studio and think of it as a light. And you're like, oh, I don't even know what to look for. Right, and right. so I think for portrait photographers, what we're looking for is um, if you're working every day with celebrities that have a hair and makeup team and they're just naturally photogenic, it's super easy, right? You don't really need to do much. You just need to get some light in their eyes and everything's uh, great. But we deal with real people and we empower real people to look great. You know, if you do that in your business, um, you've got a career, you've got your, uh, you know, ten, twenty thousand dollars a month. Um, if you can do that. So what we're looking for is most of the time I find good light in the eyes. So it looks like there's a bit of life mm-hmm. in the eyes. And, um, so they don't. And then if you have like wrinkles, if you see right now, um, let me see if I can do this. I, let's not do this over the Zoom demo. So <laughs> low, res, low resolution. But wrinkles wrinkles really show up when you have hard shadows mm-hmm. in the wrinkles themselves. You know, like, um, I don't know if you can see, but in my hand, like right now, it looks super soft. But if I turn it away, you start to see there's like shadows, right? So you're trying to really get the soft exactly. light. Look how the wrinkles on my hand even disappear as I bring in soft light. And then they appear as I move my hand where there's not soft light. So you're looking just for soft, beautiful light 
that fills in your clients' faces and shows them the best. And for yep. people who are a little bit older, they usually want their wrinkles reduced, right? And no one wants bags under their eyes. Exactly what you just did with your hand is what you can do with your client's face. Move them towards the yeah. light. Move them around to see where it's filling in the shadows. And Sue has a video, actually, one of the videos in the 12-week startup in week five is the flat beauty light. And that's the thing is, especially yeah. with a mature face, you want to make sure that you've got that flat light so it's not like half the face in shadow or like you said, under the eyes in shadow. So that's going to be one of the most important things to look for. And if you're finding that you have like highlights on one side of the face and it's darker on the other, you have to either move the light or move your client or bring up a reflector to their face. So someone asked Felix, do you spot meter for the face or do you meter for the darker or lighter skin tone if you have multiple people? So the, I guess that's two separate questions. Right. Um, I So first question first. I use a meter only if I have to because most of the time, like using a meter, you had to depend on it back in the film days when you didn't know what your images looked like right away. But nowadays we take a picture and we can look at the back of the camera. If it's too bright, you can turn it down. Or if it's too dark, you can turn it up. Right. That's much easier and I think for anyone in the startup, like using a meter, it's a great thing to aspire to, but you don't need it to find like good light right now. Think about what this, uh, my Zoom camera is doing right now. It's found the right uh, brightness for my face. And you can do that just by eyeballing it. You know, I would, I would just leave the meter out of the equation until you really know why you need to get a meter. Um, for the second question, when you have multiple people and different, differing skin tones, I know people have this problem when you're working with a, like a very wide variety of skin tones. And I think a lot of wedding photographers have this issue because they're working in sometimes hard natural light, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've never had an issue and I've never really made adjustments for it. But I realized over time that that's because I work on really, really soft light and really, really soft light is very forgiving for any kind of difference in the skin tone. So I think that the... the uh, it's a challenge better to solve by using soft, even light than getting any more technical than that. So how would you get that? I'm just anticipating this question being asked. How do you get that soft light? Like, what's the difference between harsh light and soft light? And how do you make it soft? Right. So um, softness really has to do with it gets really like you can get very technical on it. But um, you want a large, large light source, right? So right now, I have softish light on my face. Opposite me, there's a big window, right? If it was a tiny little hole or the sun was shining directly at me, you'd have really hard shadows. And softness is really, if you look at the shadow on a subject's face, how does it go from dark shadow into lightness? And if you don't have, if that can be soft, so, um, you know, if the great gradation between where your shadow starts and ends is really smooth, that's kind of considered soft light. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, you can get all complicated if you want to, but we don't need to. But that's basically, you're looking at your shadow. That's going to tell you if it's hard or soft. If you have a hard edge on your shadow, you've got hard light. Yep, yep. That's what I was hoping you'd say, is that the larger the light source, the softer the light, correct? Yeah, but remember, it's the, the light source in relation to your subject. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the sun is obviously the biggest light source in our solar system, but it's very, very far away, right? right. So in relation to us, it's very small, and that's why you get really hard shadows from the sun. Um, if you, I like to do this exercise where I get the, like let's say you have a light, like a window right here, right, right next to me. I could probably see it with this eye if I looked over, but with this eye, my nose is blocking it, right? So I know... That, from, that there would be no light hitting this eye, right? Whereas if I moved my light here, oh, I can see it with both eyes without moving my head, right? And I kind of do that little exercise because if the light can't get there, it's not going to light it up. It's kind of as simple as that. So when you have a larger light source, what you're essentially doing is bringing the light here and here. So I can see a little bit with, my, with this eye and I can see both hands with the other eye lighting me. So you get, you can imagine... As you spread it out, there's more light coming. Like if you had a bigger modifier, there's more light spreading across the face. And that's actually a question that someone asked if we could talk about different modifiers. Okay. And, and like I said, I just honestly, I just bought one that was a big octagon shape. And that was it. Like I wasn't, I didn't like read a whole lot of reviews or whatever. I just 
bought a white one that goes over my light. So I'm wondering if you can speak to a little bit more about that, about diffusers. Yeah, and I think the the key thing is, so what you said already, if you have a studio and you have a window, right, you're going to get your subject, you're going to get someone in and you're going to try out where's the light good, right? right? And just look at the thing, like I, the nose is a really good indicator. Like right now I have two uh, what's called catch lights in my eyes. And it feels a little awkward pointing at my face the whole time, but it's <laughs> worth it for this, right? Um, I have two big catch light in my eyes. That gives my eyes um, kind of a little bit of energy, a little bit of life, right? So as you move around in the studio, you can see like, okay, this would, I cast a shadow on this side. This is much softer. It fills in. Like you're doing that exercise where you just kind of look, right? And it takes time to kind of build up like, the to understand what you're actually looking for but right. all of these things you know you need to work a little bit um so as you do that exercise you're going to learn about where the light is good in your studio and i got into artificial light because i didn't necessarily have a light in my studio sorry i didn't have daylight and then i grew up in england in the winter at 4 p.m <laughs> the sunlight is gone right right know, so you're kind totally. of restricted um, it's all nice and well when you live in LA, you know, and, uh, <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, so in terms of picking a modifier, what I always say is there's so many different types of, uh, of modifiers on the market and they all do different things. And the key thing is to do that same exercise, maybe get with another photographer or a member of your family who is well-fed and well-slept, who's going to be patient with you. And as you try out different things, I like to do this with uh, another photographer and then we can both kind of trade places and just try out different um, spots around the studio where the natural light works well or different um, spots for the modifier. And, you know, um, instead of moving the subject, then we're moving the modifier in relation to the subject. Um, and that exercise, if you spend even two hours with another photographer, maybe you can find them in, you know, the startup group or the uh, members only group and get with that someone in the studio that is going to be patient mm -hmm. with you and doing the same thing. That is the biggest learning moment every single time. Like, uh, I, I, I got like Christina Hauser and like a bunch of other photographers in Florida back and we practiced lighting on location one day just for fun, you know, and we yes. just didn't necessarily get good results, but we just tried and learned so much, even, you know, even, like I know lighting now and even then I'm still doing that. Yep. That's, oh, that's so, so, so important. Find someone who you can practice this with exactly what you said. Yeah. It makes such a difference. Yeah. And also speaking to like equipment needs, you know, I think people, it's so easy to fall into like the trap of, Oh, I need, and you spoke to this also in the beginning. I need a pro photo light to do good light. I need this to do good light, but that's not true. If you have something already that you tried and it looks horrible, that exercise alone if you really take the time and see, like, think about, you know, if you have a, a modifier, think about, like, it can be positioned in, like, 360 degrees, many yeah. places, right? It's not just pointed straight at the subject. And those two things alone would teach you lighting if you just did that. Think, get outside of, uh, get out of the place where you're just pointing it directly at the subject, move it in different positions, you know, move it around and try it out and have a patient person to work with those two things you wouldn't even need any other instruction you could learn how a lighting because you'd see yep. the differences you know and make a tiny adjustment each time yep absolutely okay so i have a question well I'll, i think i'll speak to this natural light outside and then we can talk about using modifiers outside so when i'm shooting outside i feel extremely comfortable in full sun i feel extremely comfortable outside in shadows in in um you know an overcast day and and i think sometimes people are really afraid of of full sun when some of my favorite photos that i've taken are at like noon in full sun in the middle okay. of the day with zero shade and all i do is i place their back to the sun and then i expose for their for their face and then ah. it it backlights them so beautifully and you just have to be careful not to like blow out a ton of like highlights and everything but Having that like glowy sun behind them can be so beautiful. You have to be a little bit careful with blondes because sometimes the the sun will come right through their hair and it makes them look like it just can be funny. But <laughs> they don't have any hair, right? Like or like they don't have any yeah. hair. Exactly, exactly. But just you know, don't be afraid of it. And again, it's just practicing it. And and every time, especially well, okay, in full sun with a reflector, it can be really hard on their eyes. And usually, you have mm. enough light. 
that it can, you know, that their face is already bright enough when you're in full sun. But be careful. If you're on green grass, that green yeah, green just- can, like, put a cast on their face, underneath their chin. So sometimes it's super helpful just to put a white reflector down on the ground in front of them so that it's not bouncing that green grass light onto them. So, so they that's don't look just- like a character from Wicked. To- totally, totally. <laughs> you know, oh, so much time I've spent during wet, like editing wedding photos, changing like green necks and chins. Oh man, but yeah, just a white reflector can so simply take care of that. And then on an overcast day, I have to have to have to have my reflector. Sometimes silver, depending on how dark it is outside, because it's going to give that catch light. Everyone, like I think there's the idea people think that oh, an overcast day is the best day, time of the day to shoot. And I mean, I think you can make gorgeous photos regardless of what time of day it is and whether or not it's sunshine, you know, sunny or not. But having that reflector, it'll take that raccoon eye away and it'll give them those like gorgeous catch lights. Practice, again, I mean, you can use, I use a piece of of white foam core. It was like a two by four. No, what is it even two by four? I don't think it's that big. Anyway, it is just a piece of white foam core. I have big ones, I have little ones, and I just bring them all with me. I have one that has a white side, one that has a silver side, and I just play around. And next time you're outside with someone, Put a, put a reflector and take a shot and then do it without a reflector and you'll see the difference in their eyes. It's just such, makes such a difference, you guys, I swear. Yeah, it really does. And uh, the, I think about also like you have the, the, the grass you mentioned, it bounces back the green light. If you're shooting on a beach or something, it's actually quite nice because you have the, the sand bouncing back, yes. um, you know, skin color light, basically. Yes. Um, And it's just one of those things, like if you're on concrete, you're going to get gray light bouncing back, which can work. You know, gray light doesn't necessarily have a color. Yeah. It just bounces the light straight back. Um, And it's kind of when you get to one of those situations, it's it you'll learn this also as you get more experience. But if you're looking around and you see the floor is really yellow or red or, you know, like you're shooting in Arizona in Sedona, you're going to get like red bounce back. And it might just... You just start to kind of get a sense for this, but it's important just to kind of have a look around. And also, if you are shooting in the studio, you make a good point. It's it's true anyway. You know, right now I have like a green curtain next to me. If I was bouncing light, if I had a light right here, it would be bouncing back at me green. So it just takes a little moment of going, oh, all right, there's, uh, this color is bouncing back. And then just making sure you kind of understand that and like you said, use a reflector that's white. Yeah, <laughs> to for sure. Bounce for sure. Light back instead of having the green grass. Yeah. Another thing that I found really helpful is if I see a patch of shade, and I, you know, I don't necessarily want that full sun look. If I put them just inside that shade, and then in mm-hmm. front of the subject, you know, just a foot or two in front of the subject is where the sun starts. It can bounce, especially on white cement or something, it can bounce that light right onto them so that they're just like glowy and beautiful. And then behind them is shade. So if you look for that line of shade and just put them like a foot into the shade, uh, it can just create the most beautiful glowy skin. I just I just love shooting outdoors in, in full sun and just finding ways <laughs> to take advantage of it. So Felix, someone how said... Often, Nikki, how often... Sorry, can I just Yeah, ask, go, go um, for it. How often are you shooting with the sun directly on the subject's face? Gosh, you know what? Pretty much only during golden hour sometimes, but very okay. rarely. Although I, I feel like... Right. It, well, for one, their eyes. They can't open their eyes. You know, <laughs> on, a, on a full the, yeah. sunny day, there's no way. I mean, do you ever... No, I never. But I, it's nice that you said that because that's the thing. I think people think, oh, for sun, I have to put them directly into the sun. But you can find ways. You know, the backlight setup, you find open shade. Those kind of things work really well. Totally, totally. Okay, one more outdoor yeah. question, and then we'll, we'll go back into the studio light. But someone said, sunset portraits are huge in Michigan. It's where I am. Yes, it's true. Um, where I live, I've gotten much better incorporating oh, oh, off-camera flash into them thanks to Felix light, um, lighting... Um, Location lighting series. The location like. lighting series. Yeah. yeah. But still, sometimes when I expose to get all the colors to remain in the sunset, the subject is too bright in comparison and not natural looking. So what are recommendations to help with this? Yeah. So if you're using, I mean, we're getting a little bit advanced now. You know, she's talking about like uh, something that I should teach in my location lighting series, and we don't even teach that at the beginning of it. So um, you can definitely do a lot with artificial light and reflectors to bring more light or less light onto your subject. But obviously, if you have that sunset and you have your subject, you might be, it's like a hard thing because um, 
the light that's on your subject and the light that's in the background is constantly changing as the sun goes down. So you're really setting yourself up for a challenge. And I think people who are doing the startup, um, I think that's a little bit of a further, um, like a skill that's further along. You know, I wouldn't want to be discouraged from uh, learning lighting just because that, that one is tricky to figure out. Right, right. Okay, so yeah. moving on, I have a question. Someone wants to know, what is the best go-to lighting setup for low ceilings? And I love this uh, question because I think a lot of people are are not in, you know, a huge, big studio with huge ceilings. I know my studio, my you know, the studios that I've had, the first few were like low ceilings. So I'm curious what you have to say about that. Well, so both the places I grew up or like I've lived since I'm an adult is England and New York, and both are not known for palatial homes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so I... I remember in England, like, I don't know, somehow the ceilings are like even lower than in America. Um, and I like having a small space. If you can figure out your artificial light in a small space, you are just going to be a lighting master from there on. Um, in England and in New York, I used to shoot in like a bedroom, um, you know, eight foot ceilings. You may be a little bit restricted on the poses you can do because you might have to bring your subject a bit lower mm-hmm, down, mm-hmm. Uh, seated poses, so that you can fit the modifier in. Um, but actually, you know, we all know Siri, our lovely model that we've used over the years. Um, she and she, the first ever shoot I did of her, many people don't know this, but I introduced her through Lara Jade to Sue. Um, I actually had her standing in my eight foot studio with just one light. Oh, wow. And the thing that makes small space is really, really powerful is if you have white walls or even off white walls, you can use those to bounce the light. So if we're talking about like shooting on the beach, you know, we have that concept of the sun is shining onto the sand and bouncing back onto your subject. Well, we're using the same thing in a small space, but we're just using the ceiling. We're using the walls as our beautiful big bounce and small spaces are actually benefit it's a great place to learn lighting if you just have a small space but you have to make sure you don't have like a green wall or a pink wall or something that's going to throw off the colors but think about this if you have a window with a wall opposite it right you're going to have the light coming in and bouncing back so when the light comes in and hits the subject from this side well you're getting some um reflection back that's also what you do with a reflector in a small space You've already got all of that. The light's bouncing around in the space and can fill in all your shadows really, really nicely. You know, if, if we're talking again about what we talked about, the control of the shadows is what makes soft light. So sometimes in a small space, you don't even need to do very much. You can just point a light in. And again, do that exercise where you get your modifier or your light and you move it around in different places. And what you start to notice is when you stop having it directly on your subject, let's say you move it where it's pointing feathered, we call it, you know, like it's pointing in front of the subject. Mm -hmm. So it's not even hitting the subject directly, but you have some of the light hitting the subject, but the brunt of the light might be hitting a wall that's right here and bouncing light back beautifully at your subject. And you can use the ceiling in the same way. You can use the back wall in the same way. So again, if you just did that little exercise where you just play around with the position of the light and just think about like, um, I always use the analogy of water. It's like water coming out, spraying out where your light is in the direction that the modifier is going. Like if you had a hose, well, it'd be bouncing off the ceiling and back onto something. It'd be bouncing off the opposite wall and back onto you. So you can just visualize where it's going you know, yeah. in a small space. It's bouncing around everywhere and filling in your shadows really beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I've, I've done in, in a studio when I, I still, it was a darker day. I only had the window light is I have these four by eight feet there like styrofoam that I got from their polyboards really that people use to make backdrops one side silver one side white I would put the silver sometimes the silver would be too much but right on the floor a four by eight foot huge reflector in front of them on the floor as though I I was doing exactly what you said what I was talking about outside it just made me think of that when you're like everything you can do outside you just do it inside so that light would bounce right up to them give the most beautiful catch lights and just that glowy skin again so and, and a huge reflector is going to obviously bounce much more light. So if you're trying to just use a small reflector and bounce a ton of light, it's just not going to work. But uh, Felix, someone mentioned, they said, I use photogenic lights. What's the main difference between low or high-end lights? Like what makes Pro Photo or some of the other high-end lights better 
given all of the other factors are the same, like the watt second, the modifier, et cetera? So um, you're asking about the difference in um, various lighting brands, et cetera, right? Right. So what makes the, yeah. the more expensive ones worth it, I guess? Okay. So it's kind of like when you buy your first car, you know, you get into a car and you're learning to drive it and you go, well, this will take me from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. So what do I need a Ferrari for? Well, it'll get you there quicker and you might feel a little cooler. You know? <laughs> um, I love it. But you don't, when you're, I mean, like think about back to when you're a teenager and you get your first car, you don't care what car it is. You know, you're like, I've got a car unless they buy you a PT Cruiser and then it's like, oh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> no, but as you get more familiar with cars, you can see like, oh, this one, it just, it's a bit weird when it doesn't uh, leave the stoplight quite as quickly or this one, but it takes you actually driving it to learn why those things that you need are important, you know? So we can get into all the like, well, more expensive flashes, they refresh quicker. So you can take more pictures with the flash more quickly, right? The color balance is better so that uh, the, each frame has exactly the same white balance. Um, the safety is more, so you're less likely to have it explode on you, you know? Um, it has more fidelity, so you can turn it up by just a little bit at a time. Or, in most cases, and this is, I think, the biggest thing for everyone in the startup, cheap lights, you can't turn them down right. enough. Most people that are buying new lights have that are cheap have the problem that you just they're always too powerful. So when you're shooting a natural light, you're used to shooting fairly wide open, I think, you know, between 2.8 and 4.0 on your aperture. Mm -hmm. um, cheap lights don't necessarily let you, like, turn the light down enough. Okay, That's the biggest gotcha. complaint I have with those. Gotcha. Okay, we yeah, have a couple questions. As you get into it, you learn all those things. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. we have a couple questions about backlighting, and I think I'll, I'll take the first one. Someone said, I'm having a hard time shooting into the backlight in my own studio without going way up on ISO, which means results are lacking a lot of detail, okay. too much grain to edit out. I use white V-flats, but I'm still having a hard time. What is the key to make this work? I have low ceilings and white walls. I mean, I'm going to guess, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Felix, there's probably not enough ambient light coming in to be able to bounce back onto her in the first place. So somehow you're going to need more light to be bounced back onto her, whether it is, yeah. you know, bringing in a constant light or, you know, making sure that it's a sunny day. I mean, what do you think, Felix? Yeah, I mean, if you, so I think the person asking the question is definitely using natural light for this because, mm -hmm. and I know this from England, you're like, oh, you have a window, great. Right. There's not very much light coming in. So we're going either to like shooting at 1.4 to get enough light in or at 800 ISO. It is literally why I got into artificial light in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so the backlight setup is a really good, like when you're shooting about backlight, like imagine there's light coming from behind me. And it's the same as Nikki described, like when you're shooting on the beach, right? You have backlight behind the subject, creating beautiful soft light, lighting up the back of the hair, da, 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 and then you bounce some of it back onto your subject to fill in the face. So if you don't have enough of that going on, there's hardly any coming in and there's hardly enough bouncing back, mm -hmm. right? So it's a really, that one is a really powerful way to get into artificial light, for example, is let's say you had a wall behind, if I, on this wall behind me, I could just literally point a light into that wall yep. and it would bounce back onto me, bounce back off the uh, reflector right here, fill in my face, I have the light from behind and it would look super, super yeah. beautiful. I think Sue has videos on this setup she, as well, right? She does. So, yep, she does. And yeah. and literally, I mean, all it takes is just one constant light shining back at the white reflector behind you that's going to bounce right back onto her. So if that's the case, then it's probably time to just get a constant light. I mean... Yeah, you're replacing the window with the constant yeah. light, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so someone yeah. else asked about backlighting using strobes. Do you position the back strobe next to the backdrop or behind and above? I know you can do both. Which do you prefer? You can do both. Um, so if you put it behind and above, you're going to have a little bit more of a harder light. So and that, that just depends on the size of your modifier. The bigger the modifier, you're going to have the softer light coming through from behind. But if you bounce into the wall, um, if I was to, I'm going to use this wall very awkwardly here. If I bounced a light right into this wall and it bounces off, like a little circle like this, it's going to come back really hard. But counterintuitively, 
if I bring the white light further away from that wall, it's going to make a bigger circle on the wall that bounces back. So when you're bouncing into a wall, the further away from the wall you have, the wider the light spreads and the softer it's going to be. So bouncing into a wall, if you have the space for backlight setup, can be super, super beautiful. And um, you can actually just dial in your um, how hard your light is that's coming back. Yeah. Um, so I actually prefer bouncing into the wall behind because you don't necessarily need a modifier. You just need to have a light bounce it into the wall and then it'll bounce back. But you do need a fairly strong light because you're kind of the wall, the light, think about it. It's coming from like, let's think about the jet of water. It's coming from your modifier, bouncing into the wall, bouncing back into the V flat onto your subject. So it's got a little bit further travel and it's spreading out even more. You know, you'd need a really strong jet of water for it to really hit your subject in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as I get this question a lot in our um, Super Ice Education members Facebook group. So I just want to ask you what you think. People always ask, what color do I paint my studio? And I'm always like, white? Like, I've I've just always picked, like, a bright white, and it's worked really well for me. Again, because I know that I'm using natural light, and I know I want as much light as possible, and a bright white mm-hmm. is going to do that. But what do you recommend for a paint color? Yeah, I would say a matte white is going to be perfect. You right. know, and I, yep. I try... I mean, it's it's a bit of a shame because if you don't use off-white, your, <laughs> your studio can look a bit like a hospital. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> you know, you're trying to be functional um, uh, first and foremost. But I know people who painted their studios black because they want to cut out that. But I think um, it's important. It's less work to have the white walls and learn how to use lighting than to paint your entire studio black. Right, right. Someone else asked, when yeah. you're photographing people of color with caramel reddish tones and natural light, what color reflector would you use? I use the, the white or, excuse me, the white or the silver. Okay, that's what I use too. I think, yeah. And I just see what looks yeah, better. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. And, um, you know, it's important to take skin tone into consideration. Um, we have to do that no matter the, the uh, skin tone of the client. And um, in post, there's so much you can do that's wrong. But when you're shooting, you want the color temperature to be, if you're shooting in natural light, think about it like this. If you have a white reflector, it's bouncing the same color of light back. So if you're shooting, for example, in really warm evening light, the white reflector is bouncing back the color of the light that's, you know, the sun. The same is true for the silver reflector. So I, I don't use the gold reflector because that it always looks like this is now bouncing back light that's so much warmer and it looks very unnatural. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So someone, okay, another question. There's so many questions, Felix, so I'm just going to, like, keep going with them. When backlighting with artificial light, where exactly do you place the light and modifier so it doesn't show in the frame, but it still lights up the wall? So that's a really good, think about the jet of water again. If we have our light coming over the back of the subject, it's an easy mistake to put it directly over your subject Mm -hmm. and pointing towards the camera. But the problem with that is you have your V-flat here. Right? or your bounce, your reflector is here, off to the side. And the reason that's off to the side, think again about the jet of water. I don't know if I'm like it's coming through demonstrating it here, but um, you'd have to reflect the light directly from here if the light's coming from here. But you have to, the photographer is there. You can't put a big reflector there. Right. So what I do is I bring the B-flat over to the side that gives the face also shape because then you have like a subtle shadow on the side of the chin, of oh. the nose. Um, so you can actually bring your light over this way and then point it towards the subject. There's a video that shows this much better on <laughs> Sue's videos, I'm sure. But um, so I bring it over to the side and just angle it in a little bit at the V-flat. Yes, absolutely. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, we are recording this live with Felix, in, you know, with his hands. So if you are a member of Super Ice Education, you can go on and you can actually watch this. We'll archive it, the video, to to the website. If you're watch, just listening to the podcast, like, I can't see him, you can see it on SueRiceEducation.com. Let me answer that question with audio only. So you basically, you don't want the light to be directly behind your subject if you're doing the backlight uh, setup with the backdrop. You can bring it over to the side and angle it in like 45 degrees towards your subject, and then you can still catch the bounce from the V flat yep, without yep. it being in the way. One time by accident in my in my studio in Michigan, I have low ceilings. It's a small space. There's small windows. There's just not a lot of light. And I've been using the Stella constant light. Someone asked about an inexpensive constant light. And Sue's going to be shooting with the aperture 
coming up after this at noon today. So make sure you watch that because I think she might have me convinced to switch over to that. But one time, this totally happened by accident. I had moved my Stella light and I turned it towards me. So it was like blinding me and I took the shot anyway and it created, I had a huge white V-flat behind me. My subject was in front of a diffused window, but again, not enough light. I turned the Stella light towards me, even though it was like blinding me coming at me. I took the shot and it was like the most beautiful (laughs) backlit, like glowy, amazing. And even though the window is only like, you know, three feet wide, it made the window look like six feet wide. And it was so cool. And I was like, yes, I just, it just blinds me. So I had to figure something else out, but it it turned out really cool. Happy accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the accidents. I love actually Felix, I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a, situ- a lighting situation where you like couldn't figure something out and you were like, oh, oh my god, oh sh- I can't I can't work this out? Or have you always been able to just like work through it? Like have you ever been sweating? I think like, the better oh, question yeah. is, have I ever not been in that situation? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the I got when I was assisting um back when I first came to New York, I got taught, you know, if you're debugging something, if you're trying to figure out what's going wrong. You have to take a step back and take a deep breath, make one change at a time yeah. and figure it out from there. Cause it's so easy for us to be like, oh, we got to change everything. But you know, it's like, you have to get good at like problem solving and that it's like, make one change at a time, test it again, make one change at a time, test it again. And something that I always tell photographers that are learning is it's completely okay. And I say this to my clients, Hey, you're doing great the lighting is just not where I want it to be. Give me five minutes. We're going to take a quick break. I'm mm-hmm. going to do a couple of tests. Do you want to just come back? And like, I've never had someone go, I can't believe you're <laughs> not a wizard controlling with your mind, the photons of light. How dare you? And right. Been like, Oh good. I get to take a break and you want it to be better. Like, okay, brilliant. Totally. You know? And it's like, um, I mean, we, I think embracing our vulnerability is always powerful, right? Totally. And that that goes with posing too. Like if you're frozen and you can't think of what pose to do next, it's the same situation. It's always okay to take a water break or just a quick minute, couple minute break. That's such a good point. Right. At the end of the day, clients will remember, clients remember the pictures. Yes. You know, they, they will remember the photographs and that's what's important. So they won't remember that you made them take a five minute break where they could relax, you know? Totally, totally. They're not going to tell their friends like, oh my God, my photos are amazing. But seriously, they had to like figure out the lighting. <laughs> it was so bad. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. So someone yeah. asked, what if you have too much natural light in your studio? I have four large windows that are all southwest facing. And on sunny days, yes, we have sun in Vancouver occasionally. It's actually too bright. And I remember this used to happen in one of Sue's spaces when I when I worked with her in Seattle. And she she mm. lived like on the 30th floor and we would just get this gorgeous sunlight coming in towards the end of the day and we would have to block it with V-flats. And that's just what we did. We just blocked the light with V-flats, either white or black, depending on how much light she wanted to block. And I mean, is there any other way that you would recommend? Same thing. And you can use diffusion to make it uh, softer. But in my Brooklyn studio, I have three uh, banks of windows, also south facing, and I just installed blinds so I could close them. Yeah. Yeah. At will. Yeah. Easy peasy. Okay, Felix, to photograph an outside portrait in a sunset, do I need to gel the strobe? If I do, would it help placing it inside the modifier? So gelling is when you put a piece of essentially plastic that has a color so that the light that's coming out, because the light from strobes is going to pretty much be like noon daylight. And then obviously once the sun sets, it gets much warmer. So you'll want to compensate by using like a, it's called a a CTO color temperature orange gel which is just a piece of uh, like colored plastic and it comes in different thicknesses so you don't have you don't want the full orange light so gelling is kind of like one of these advanced methods where you change the color temperature of your flash but yeah you want to match the uh the natural light if you're using artificial light with it cool so definitely yep yep someone asked would you recommend using flash heads on the studio softbox yes yes Easy. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great thing to learn. Yeah. Awesome. Two people asked for when you have someone with light blue eyes, they tend to have a harder time with reflectors and bright lights. Is there anything? I remember actually when we were in Paris for one of Sue's workshops a while ago, I was photographing our makeup artist, Katie, and she couldn't even, I didn't have a reflector. She couldn't even keep her eyes open. 
I mean, it was it was really hard, and I had to like have her just close her eyes and then open really quick, and then I would like I would angle her a different a different way, and I got this really beautiful shot of her sitting sideways looking the other way, and I just got her you know her profile, and I would never would have done that if she couldn't have opened her eyes. So again, an, a nice little accident. But do you have any advice for that? Well, when you're working with other people, there's always like these so many variables, you know. So this mm-hmm. is just one of those things that comes up. You're like, you're maybe shooting someone in a park, and they're like you didn't know that they hate parks or, you know, just (laughs) so many different things. So one of the things that makes your work unique and beautiful is solving those kind of issues creatively. And like you just gave the example of Katie in Paris, you said, right. And you probably had a lot of uh, concrete around bouncing so much light back and she couldn't keep her eyes open. But the solution to that, it's like you sweating and like, ah, everything's going wrong. But when you solve it, that's what creativity is, is good problem solving. So you maybe get something completely unique. You know? Yeah. I mean, exactly. I can't be photographed. I would. Ne- I'd be a terrible Victoria's Secret model because I couldn't pose on the beach properly. My eyes would be like <laughs> closed, you know. Oh, and that's it. the only reason I couldn't do it. <laughs> Although I don't know, I saw some beach photos of you. You're looking pretty good, Felix. <laughs> okay, I need to learn how to use my pro photo lights, and these are the ones that you plug in and are probably harder to carry on location. What kind of battery power can this person purchase? There is a like. I think it's called a vagabond. It's like a portable, like a car battery, essentially, that you can take out on location so you can use your plug-in lights. Okay. But I've never used yeah. them because I use uh, Elenchrom battery lights. So I'm not sure. But I did, when I started out on shooting on location, I would use a speed light. Oh, yeah. You know, like a little speed light. Yep. Which has a battery. So yep. it doesn't overpower the sun, but if you have an overcast day, it's kind of quite nice. Okay, so someone asked, if you are shooting with a cheaper light where you cannot control the power output at all, I usually just move it either close or further away to control the output. Could you also double up some type of modifier to control it? Right, so you can definitely diffuse. So you could put extra fabric on it. You know, if you get to an apartment or like a a client's apartment, and I'm in New York, so everything's apartments. You get to a client's (laughs) house you find out, oh, my light is way too bright. I can't turn it down. I'm like running around looking for curtains, bed sheets, anything I can put over the light to uh, cut out some of the power. Yeah. That's what I would do. And that's all about problem solving, like you were just talking about. It's yeah. finding a solution like, okay, what is my problem? And and like look around and think like, okay, how can I solve this? I mean, truly, that's what it is. Yeah. So much of what we do is problem solving. I mean, think about, this is a great larger philosophical question. Photographers think, that, oh, I need to learn lighting and I need to learn posing and da, da, da. And all of that is true. But what will make you a really great photographer is solving problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to get so many of them. And anyone can do that. And I, it's, just, it's just something I like to point out because that's something that everyone can do. Like yes. figuring out how to solve the problems that come up, you know? Totally, totally. Okay, someone says, is it better to use bare bulb or flash without modifier when bouncing the light off of a wall? Um, it's a really great way to use light is to make your wall essentially into a modifier. Um, we show that in, I think it's called Kick-Ass One Light in the lighting series as well. But it's like so powerful to do that. But you want to make sure, like think of the jet of water, bare bulb. If you just have a bulb, like from a normal light, right? It's the light's going in every which direction, including some of it directly at your subject. Like if I took the, the uh, lampshade off of this, I would be getting really hard light. But what's happening instead, it's diffuse when it hits me. So I couldn't take this lampshade off and point it into the wall because there would still be some of that direct hard light hitting the subject. So you want to make sure you have at least a little reflector dish on it so that the light is all bouncing at the wall, not at the subject directly. So someone else, and I I feel like this is also more problem solving, but she says, I have white walls and an eight-foot ceiling, but the ceiling is natural wood. How can I make sure this doesn't cast a yellow color on my subject? Right. Um, I think if you're if you're working with natural light, you're probably having the sun coming in from above. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. You're going to probably worry mm-hmm. more about what's mm-hmm. happening with your floor. Um, but if you're using artificial light and you want to bounce into the ceiling, yeah, you're going to have to overcome that problem or shoot everything in black and white because you're going to get a weird color cast. Um, but I have put B-flats into the ceiling before, so or reflectors, you know, and just oh, yeah. kind mm-hmm. of floated something up there temporarily. Yeah, perfect. Okay, question about umbrellas and softboxes. Which one do you consider better and why? I guess shape-wise and brand. 
depends on, I use the Ellen Chrome uh, 100 centimeter deep dish Rotolux for all my location shoots. Okay. And I use it in the studio as well. And I also use a Fotec soft lighter, which is one of my favorite modifiers. It's an umbrella. So I use both and it really depends on what you like, what kind of work you shoot. Again, there's a million different ways. I like to teach you how to cook, not teach you recipes. So you might like saffron. I might like thyme. Up to you. Yeah, I love that. There's so many different options out there, and it's just figuring out what works for you. Just like figuring out, like at the beginning when I was talking about how Sue said, it's all about finding the lighting style that works for you, whether it's strobe or natural light or making strobe look exactly like natural light. I mean, there's just you just have to find your style and go with it, and that's how you're going to fall in love with your photos. And finding your style just comes from shooting, 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 and experimenting. I wouldn't worry about what is your style. You just it'll just come out from when you're shooting and working. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so when you're bouncing it like Felix, okay, does it does that light bounce in a dark or a black backdrop too? So can uh, I'm assuming they're asking, can you bounce light into a dark or black backdrop? I'm not sure wh- why you would want to, but right. So it's it's um, bouncing light. You go from complete white to complete black, and if you find that middle ground, middle gray is like you get the more dark the surface is, you're bouncing off of the less light is going to bounce back. It's very simple. So technically you can bounce off of black light. Right now you can see some texture in my black shirt. That means light is bouncing off of it. Um, But obviously you're going to get more of a bounce as you get lighter lighter, um, surfaces. Yeah, that makes sense. For outdoor shoots, how many watts generally do we need? Is 200 watts too small? Do we need at least 500 watts for a full sunny day? So just a disclaimer, in England, any amount of watts is fine because there's usually a thick, thick cloud layer. <laughs> um, but I shoot with the Elenchrom ELB 500, and the 500 is 500 megawatt seconds. Um, or watt seconds, sorry, not megawatt seconds. That would be crazy. Uh, watt seconds. <laughs> and that seems to suffice. But in hard sunlight, I sometimes have to take a diffusion off the modifier so that light is actually still coming out. And it's a it's, it's a little bit of a how long is a piece of string question because when you, like Nikki, you talked about photographing someone in direct sun but putting them in the shade, right? In that situation, you don't need all that much power if you're using artificial light. Right. But in bright, bright sun, you might need a little bit more. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, last question, Ella, on our support team, on our SBE team. She wants to Hi, know Ella. which Hogwarts house you would want to be in because you are a wizard. <laughs> Oh, God. I, it's so easy to go with Gryffindor, but I'll have to be Hufflepuff. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, well, Felix, thank you, thank you, thank you for being with us today. If you have not seen or heard us talk about, Felix does have a lighting course in the Portrait Masters store, and he's incredible. I mean, he's our, he's our lighting master, and the way he teaches, I'm sure you've you've witnessed today, is just so simple and he just really makes it easy. He shows you how to use the one light like in any situation. So yeah, it's awesome. I would definitely check out his courses and also make sure you watch the videos that are in the five-week startup. We've got the natural light, the backlight, the contrast light, one strobe, two strobe, and then there's a million other lighting videos on, on SBE. So Felix, as always, it's such a pleasure to talk to you and I hope we get to hang out in person at some point here soon. Oh my God, imagine that. <laughs> yes, thank know, you, Nikki. I thank know. you for having me. Yeah, thank you. Is there anything else you want to tell people? Maybe just, um, actually, I do have one question. What would you tell people who are just getting started in all of this lighting, learning lighting? You have, there is something to learn, which means you are, you are starting at a point where you know nothing, right? It's like mm-hmm. anything you want to learn. There is a little bit of experimentation needed. But you'd be surprised how, how quickly you pick it up. You know, don't be discouraged by the early failures. They are all learning experiences. And, um, you know, the members only group, you can tag me. I'll answer questions on Facebook. And I also have my Facebook group, Lighting with Felix Kunz. Yep. Um, I go in there. Feel free to ask questions. The, uh, the group itself, everyone else answers questions. It's a really good communities we have here. And it's something we haven't actually didn't used to have classically, these kind of supportive communities. So it's a really great thing. The time to learn lighting and photography, it's better now than it ever was. Yeah, fantastic. Just one comment, Lynette Lynette Smith said, I love that you're doing this this way this time. So 
meaning like through the 12 week startup and just coaching and everything. It says it's keeping me focused and on track. I love Felix, love the hair, love his hair, love the lighting <laughs> workshop. It's amazing. The whole course is life changing. So thank you, Lynette, for that. And yeah, with that, I will leave you to your vacation. So thank you also for taking time out during your vacation. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. All right, everyone. I will see you in the Facebook group this week. Any questions can be asked there always. And next week we have week six, which is networking. And I always love talking about networking. I can't wait for next week. Make sure you're staying on track with us. We want to make sure you finish this course. We want you to build your business. We want you to grow your business, increase your sales, create more beautiful portraits. Like you're here because you want this. So make sure you're staying on track and doing the work. And and again, just ask for support in, in the members only Facebook group if you need it. Thank you so much for listening today to the Portrait System Podcast. If you like what you heard, we would really love for you to leave us a five-star review either on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And I really, really want to encourage you to head over to SueBriceEducation.com. Over there, you can find all of the education you need to become a successful photographer. It's only $35, and there are over 1,000 on-demand educational videos on things like posing, lighting, styling, retouching, shooting, marketing, sales, business, and self-value. There's also the 12-week startup program that I love. And there are posing downloads, lighting downloads. I mean, truly everything to help make you not only a better photographer, but to make you more money. Once again, that's SueBriceEducation.com.